Today on The Girl Defined Show, we are talking about surrogacy, a $14 billion industry that is profiting off the womb rental of impoverished women around the world. And you may have seen this with celebrities like Khloe Kardashian, Paris Hilton, and others who have popularized surrogacy by portraying it as an empowering option for women. But as we're going to unpack today, there is a dark side to this industry. It is known as the big surrogacy industry, and it's fueled by money, desperation, and personal desire. And as we peek behind the scenes, we will also see that it is very dehumanizing to women and babies, and it's leading to so many unethical situations. But you might be wondering, what about genuine women who are struggling with infertility who need this option? And you guys, I fall into that camp as someone who has been offered and recommended surrogacy as an option, as a solution to my infertility. I'm going to ask Erica about that. Is there a way to pursue this ethically? We are going to talk about all of that with my guest, Erica Anderson, right now on The Girl Defined Show. Erica, thank you for being here today. Uh, thank you, Kristen. I'm, I'm so excited to be here after seeing you guys like just pop up everywhere in my feeds. So I was so excited when I got your message to come on the show. Girl, this is going to be such a good conversation. Let's just jump right in. Please help me and everyone else understand what exactly is surrogacy? We hear this word. We're seeing it in the news. You know, we're seeing it in the lives of celebrities. I think for most of us, it's not impacting us on a personal level, like something we are considering as an option. I know for some people it might, like I said, I struggle with infertility. So it has been something that's popped up in my life, but just give us a quick breakdown right here off the bat. What exactly is surrogacy? So there's a couple of different ways that people can do surrogacy. So um, I think one of the most common ways is for a couple to take the husband's sperm and the woman's egg. And then for whatever reason, she can't, um, you know, she can't bear that child or she's not able to become pregnant with an embryo. So they basically um, create a frozen embryo <clears throat> and then they use a another woman's body to gestate the baby and bring it to birth. And then, you know, mm. legally speaking, that baby is the couple's baby. Um, in other cases, of course, sometimes a woman's eggs aren't available or a man can't produce sperm or whatever. And so they can take those parts from yet other people and put them together mm. um, or one other person and put them together with one of the couple's um, things, parts and then use it, a woman's body, another woman's body um, to create the um to create the baby. And then in the case, of course, of uh, same-sex couples, like they obviously can't make their own child. And so there's definitely going to be, usually what it is, is the part, um, it, it's the eggs of one woman that they purchase, and then they purchase the womb of another woman to gestate the baby until birth. And so there's just, there's a lot of body part mm -hmm. swapping and moving around going on in surrogacy. And um, well, I'll stop there and I'll let you, you know, ask me yeah. some questions. Yeah. So is it always because of a, an issue with being able to carry the baby or an issue with the sperm or the egg? Or sometimes is it a matter of convenience? Like we see, I don't actually know the reason behind Khloe Kardashian, Paris Hilton, some of these celebrities. Why are they using it? Is it a matter of infertility? Is it a matter of convenience? I think there are some rare cases. I, I don't think that's generally uh, the case. I, I've heard of a couple of celebrities that have done it for convenience sake. I think with Khloe Kardashian, I want to say I heard that she was having some like physical problems where it wasn't safe for her to be pregnant again. Um, and the same, I believe, with Chrissy Teigen. And so I don't think most people are doing it just for 
you know, kicks, like, I don't want to, you know, gain weight or whatever. I don't think that's generally the case. However, um, that doesn't negate a lot of the ethical issues that go along with it, Mm -hmm. um, which I will say up front that most people really don't understand and aren't aware of. And that's why this conversation is so important. I mean, I am uh, at least part like tangentially connected to a couple of folks that have used surrogacy. And I don't think of them as, you know, bad people. Mm -hmm. Of course, I think that they just didn't realize or don't realize um, the implications and what all goes on behind the scenes of this industry and why it could be so devastating to children in the future. Mm I didn't know there was such a dark side to this industry, to be honest. And I have struggled with infertility for 12 years now. So my husband and I have wanted to conceive. We've had three miscarriages. I have, Mm. I'm diagnosed with unexplained infertility. So it is actually something that people have recommended to me over Mm. the years. I've had, um, cousins, family members, random friends, random people online, you know, tell me, well, you know, have you heard about surrogacy? What about this? This could be a great option for you and your husband. You know, if the problem is you and your, your womb or whatever's happening there, maybe this could be a great option for you guys to be able to have a biological child. So it was something that it, I was kind of like, oh my goodness, what? That just seems, it seems so out there. And to me, it felt like something mainly you know, like celebrities and really rich people did. Um, but as people kept mentioning it, and I even had a woman offer to be my surrogate, mm-hmm. like a person that I knew. She was done having kids and she's like, you know, I care about you and I I would be happy. She's just that type of person, like always pouring her herself out for everybody in every way. Yeah. And she offered. And, you know, it wasn't something I seriously considered, but in the back of my mind, there was this thought of like, wow, maybe this could be an option to overcome this painful, hard uh, infertility, this thing that is just such a huge thing in our lives that we grieve over, that we cry out every day, you know, Lord, would you fix this? Would you help us? Um, God has since blessed us with two amazing boys through adoption from Ukraine, which we're going to get into because I have questions about what was what's going on in Ukraine with all of the surrogacy there and the war. Anyway, so is this ever an option for a woman like me? As a Christian woman, have you ever wondered, what does it actually mean to embrace biblical womanhood? It's this huge term, and oftentimes we have no idea what it looks like to live out and embrace God's design, which is why I have great news for you. We've created an incredible PDF downloadable resource called Embracing Biblical Womanhood, a Christian woman's guide to understanding and living out God's timeless design. You can download this PDF today and start digging into the incredible teaching that will help you practically understand how to live out and embrace God's design for your life as a woman today. You can download this right now at girldefine.com slash shop. Just click the digital resources tab. That's girldefine.com slash shop. You know, your case would be, of course, the most, uh, the one that I would have probably the most sympathy Mm -hmm. for because um, I struggled for several years with infertility. So I know the pain of wanting to be a mom and not being able to make it happen. Um, it's it's the, everywhere you go. Uh, every woman at Target is pregnant. Every woman at church, I, there were many. Yes. <laughs> I, it was like, I remember being at church multiple times and just like, I was like, why is everyone pregnant around me? Like, and feeling so just powerless to, to make it happen. And mm-hmm. um, surrogacy was never, uh, you know, on my radar at all. However, I, I understand the deep desperation and desire mm-hmm. to be a mom. And so um, it comes from a good place. I mean, God gives us 
us the desire to be mothers, that's not a bad thing. Um, But I think where the disconnect is in a lot of ways for people, and this is really what people are starting to understand, is that we have to put the rights of children before the rights of adults. Mm -hmm. And so we as adults, we don't have a right to be parents. Like we don't have a right to a child. Um, It's, you know, a child is its own individual image bearing valuable life that deserves um, everything we can possibly give it from day one. And when you insert surrogacy into the picture, you are immediately and intentionally going to create at least some kind of trauma for that child. Now, their children experience all kinds of trauma in life. And we, we see in, of course, like adoption situations, people often ask, well, how is this any different than adoption? Yeah. It's like, this is the distinction between the two. Because sometimes when I talk about this, I will have people saying, think that I'm like against adoption, which I'm absolutely mm, not. That's interesting. Um, but, yeah. Yeah. But the distinction is that in adoption, you are, you are healing a situation that, that has happened, that, you know, there's nothing you, you can't go back in time. You can't fix it, but it, it's a healing situation to something um, in the past, right? With surrogacy, you are intentionally creating a life with plans to in, inject trauma into that child. And and the question might be then, well, what trauma are you talking about? You know, um, and even with the cases of um, where it's the mother's egg and the father's sperm and the baby is going to this other, you know, gestating in this other woman, Mm -hmm. um, there is a trauma separation at birth. Because if you think about a baby knows only the body that it has grown in. And when you look at studies, that baby knows his mom's voice, her heartbeat, her smell, all of those things about her. That's the only thing this child knows at birth. And Mm. what happens when a child is born via surrogacy? It's taken away from its mother immediately and given to it's parents, you know, real parents or whatever. Um, And I just think it's so interesting that we cannot even adopt puppies before Mm. six because they're not allowed to be taken away from their mother. Um, And granted this mother, this gestational mother is not the biological mother, but she is the only thing that this baby Mm. knows. And here is how we know that this is traumatizing. These days, I don't know, maybe you know this figure better than me, but something about like 95% of adoptions now are open adoptions. Mm-hmm. And yeah. maybe that's just in the US, I'm not sure. Um, but why is that? Because it used to be the opposite. It used to be flipped. And that is because sociologists and psychologists have studied um, the effects of you know knowing uh, you know one's biological parents or knowing where one came from and all of those things. And so when we... Um, Sorry, when we uh, intentionally are pulling this child away from the only person that they've ever known, that is creating a trauma, whether or not they're going to remember that. Obviously, they're not going to remember it. But like our systems are so sensitive from, you know, obviously pre pre birth to, you know, all the way throughout childhood. It, it's actually it's so incredible how how the brain and body work to yeah. to grow and learn and know what's going on. Um, so that is one of the reasons. Now, mm-hmm. when you when you then when you go into talking about people that are are doing this with not even with their own body parts, um, that's where it, yes. we even take it a step further because mm-hmm. you know it's like it, you know with a couple that's using someone else's eggs or someone else's sperm. Well, then you have a child that has no connection to their biological parent and they grow up and they're told these are their parents. But here's the Mm -hmm. thing. Everybody wants to know where they come from. Everybody 
wants to know what they look like. And if you look mm-hmm. at studies of people that were adopted, for example, you'll find that like, there's, they're like, they want to know who, do, who do I look like? Who am I like? What am I? This is an identity thing. Right. Um, and, and no matter how wonderful your childhood was and your parents were, you're still going to wonder and have a disconnect. And that's why we see studies showing that people have been in this situation, have higher rates of depression and struggle more with mental health and struggle more throughout their life in general. Mm. Um, and so those are a couple of things that first come to mind. I could just like, I'm ramble. I could just ramble on yeah. about it. Um, but, but those are some of the things yeah. to be thinking about. And, that, and then one more thing is like, never mind the fact that especially, and, and this is not, when I say this, this is not about, um, you know, being against, you know, anything. It's just to say that children deserve a mother and a father. Mm-hmm. And so when you put them in a situation where they have two mothers or two fathers or one, or just a single mom or a single dad, they're, they're not, get, that's, they're losing their rights. Like they have a right to that. There's a reason God gave us the natural family, um, to, to thrive and free, flourish in this world. And we see through all kinds of secular studies that that is how children best thrive and flourish in mm. the world. Um, and so, so we should probably take note of that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yes. Oh, that's so good. That's so helpful. Thinking of it from the angle of the child, from the baby, we get so hyper-focused on ourselves and in our own struggles. And, and I even feel this just what I need a fix to my problem. I'm struggling with infertility. I need a solution. And we just jump to solutions that we think, okay, this is going to be my fix. This is going to give me what I want. Like you said, we don't have a right to it, but we feel like we do. We believe that we have a right to it. So we take steps, very extreme steps without even thinking of the consequences on this tiny human. So what, those are some consequences for the child. What about for the, the mom? Like, let's say I had a surrogate. Are there going to be issues for me in having another woman carry my child, birth my child? I take my child from that woman. Is there a relationship there? What does that process look like? What are the downsides for the biological mom? Yeah, I think every situation is different. And I haven't done a deep dive into those kinds of relationships. I think they're they're very legally binding, though. You know, for example, um, if, you know, there's been issues where biological parents have wanted a surrogate to abort um, if there were multiples mm. or if there was a, a some kind of devastating situation happening, you know, with the growing baby. Um, there have been situations like that happening. And so there's a lot of really blurry lines in the piece that you saw that I wrote last week in Newsweek. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the story of this woman who she's a surrogate. She finds out she has cancer in the beginning of her yes, pregnancy. Yes. I wanted you to talk about this story. I found that to be so eye-opening. It, it, it was, it's, it's crazy because so she's, you know, she's pregnant with this, uh, this couple's baby and she finds out she has cancer. So it's like, uh, what do I do? Like, I need to not die. And so long story short, they were going to, um, induce her early and try to figure it out. Um, this couple didn't want her to do that. They, they wanted her to have an abortion because they didn't want a premature baby. They didn't want an imperfect Mm -hmm. child. And so, um, you know, the, the full story, like she wasn't able to tell like the full story of what ended up happening. She did end up delivering earlier and the baby passed away. However, Mm. like to be asked something like that is, is just crazy to me. And from, from her own words, the, the couple immediately like were treating her extremely inhumanely. Like they weren't worried about her cancer. They, they were worried about, oh my gosh, like we purchased this 
this product of a baby and now Mm -hmm. it's going to come out damaged or now it's not working out the way we thought. It's like, yeah, because they're viewing her. Yeah. They're viewing her as a, a womb renter. You use that term in your article. You're, you're basically paying to rent someone's womb. So So in a sense it is, it is commercialized. It's dehumanizing to that woman. She is just, she's a, yeah, she's a piece of equipment that you're using to rent and you're paying her for it. Yeah. And that's why we, that's why I say that, um, surrogacy is human trafficking because, you know, Mm. this is like, we can't, we cannot, um, you can't traffic human organs. Why can you traffic eggs and sperm and wombs and babies? Mm. Like, why can you do that? Why is that legal? That doesn't make any sense. It's totally unethical. And the thing about going, like going to the money side of the conversation, um, and, yeah. and I don't, I'm not, to, I'm not saying that people that choose to become surrogates are like these money hungry people. I do think though, that most people wouldn't do it without the money. <laughs> I mean, there are, um, that's why when I write about this, I say for profit sur- surrogacy should be banned. Yes. Okay, I don't really- break down that term for us really quick yeah. though, because when I saw that in your article, that brought up some questions for me of, okay, is there a distinction between for-profit surrogacy? And I know you had mentioned certain countries like Australia, Canada, um, some others do not allow for-profit surrogacy. It's actually illegal, most but it's Western legal in the United States. Right. Most Western countries don't allow it. Um, and in Italy, actually, they're even like not even they're making it illegal to even do it out, outside of Italy and then bring your family back. Like you can't even bring a surrogate child to Italy, which is. Oh, wow. Wow. They're really. Taking OK, so further. what is what is for profit surrogacy? And is there a, like an opposite to that? Is there something yeah. that's not for profit? <laughs> well, for profit would be, you know, you're paying a woman to use her womb yeah. and money is being exchanged through an agency. Now, there are, of course, these situations where a sister is doing it and there's no money exchanged. And I think that's like a little more ethical for sure. I think um, as Christians, I I don't think it's I don't think you should do that either. Although Mm -hmm. I I see that as like a step better than than the money exchange, because if you see these, this is they, they make this is the thing they do wordplay. They make it sound like this is just all about this altruistic thing. You're helping another woman have a baby, mm. but it's like the leading thing that they have out there is, oh, get $50,000. You're going to get $50,000. So why is it called egg donation, for example, when you get paid for it? Why why are we using terms that don't make sense? And that's because it makes it more... Um, like, uh, it makes it more easy to swallow. Um, Hmm. but they target women who need money. And then who's, I mean, like if I was in a desperate situation and maybe I wasn't me, (laughs) Christian me, um, it would be really easy to be like, well, if I could just like had this baby, I could make $50,000, but it's like, that's, that's your body. Like you're putting your health at risk. Um, there's so many, things that could go wrong in that kind of a situation. Um, never mind the fact that when you're talking about surrogacy, anyone with money can do it. So if you're a rich guy and you got a lot of money and you're like, I want to make kids, you can go hmm. buy eggs, buy sperm, buy a womb and make children wow. and take them home from the hospital. They're not biologically yours. And there's nobody stopping you. There's no background check. There's no like mm. making sure that you're not a weirdo. And there have been some rare circumstances where a, a man did this and then sexually abused the children. Ugh. There's another uh, circumstance where a man had like a single guy has had like 20 kids via surrogacy. Oh, my word. Like, houses in his mansion. There's another I, well, couple. In your article, yeah, you mentioned a story of 
there was like a couple who had 20 surrogate babies in one year and they were on, they were like trying to meet a goal to have 105 kids or something crazy like Like, that. This is, this is in insanity. And like Mm -hmm. people were not meant to be produced this way. And, Mm -hmm. um, the fact that there are like zero regulations around this is a huge problem. I mean, you know, you know, you've adopted. So imagine Mm -hmm. all the hoops you had to jump through in order to take your kids home. People that are doing this don't have to do any of that. They just have to have money. It's just money. That's it. Wow. And so this is very corrupt. And as you can imagine, any business that Mm -hmm. like large amounts of money are being exchanged, people are going to abuse that. People are going to take advantage of that as much as they can. And so again, I say all this to say that I don't think that the women that have been involved in this are (laughs) doing it for any of those reasons or that they're malicious. I think that most people Mm -hmm. just don't know about it yet. And that's why I think it's so important to talk about. Yes. And amen to that. And that's why I am so happy we're having this conversation because just like me, a regular everyday woman, you know, even being offered this as an option, I didn't, I I'm learning more and more. And this conversation is even enlightening me even more on this, the negatives, the dark side, the impact, just the corruption of what's going on behind the scenes. But I don't think a lot of us as Christian women have really researched this, looked into this. Um, it's something, again, it's doesn't feel so mainstream. Like everyone around you is wrestling with, you know, should I do this or not? But you're right. It is something we need to talk about because it's happening and it is very corrupt and real people's lives are being damaged and impacted as a result. And just like we as Christians care so much about the abortion industry and the way that children are being murdered in that aspect, we should care about this. It's different. Um, It's life being produced, but we should also care about the lives of these tiny babies and the outcome of what's happening to them. So I want to transition really quick and talk about Ukraine because it's near and dear mm-hmm. to my heart. We have adopted two boys from Ukraine. We were there just a couple years ago in that country right before um, Russia invaded. So it's crazy. We were in the middle of a pandemic. God just opened all the doors. It's just an incredible God story of getting us in, getting our boys, getting out. Russia invades. The, you know, the whole country's at war. There's no way we could have adopted them if we had even waited just a couple more months. So mm-hmm. praise God for that. But I remember, you know, I was so in tune to the news, everything about Ukraine. We were listening to and watching because we're, we're personally interested on just a basic level, having children that we just adopted from this country. But I kept seeing these articles pop up of this crisis of these surrogate women who had these babies and there are no parents to claim them because of the war. So parents couldn't find their babies. I mean, what was going on there? Give us a peek inside that and how this is just another um, damaging side of this industry. Wrestling with sexual sin is something that so many of us as Christian women, single and married, struggle with. And so often we feel like we're the only one. I know because I had my struggles with sexual sin, battling masturbation for years, longing to find freedom, but lacking the tools to help me do that, which is exactly why we've created instantly downloadable PDF resources that you can get in your hands right now at girldefined.com slash shop, specifically helping you in the areas of sexual sin and sexual struggles. The newest one is called Finding Freedom from Masturbation, Gospel Strategies for Walking in Victory, a really helpful PDF that you can download today and begin walking that journey toward freedom. Another PDF is called Five Strategies to Find Freedom from Sexual Sin. We have another digital resource called Battling Sexual Temptation, a biblical toolkit for Christian girls. And y'all, these are just the ones on sexual struggles. We have PDF downloads on so many different topics for all stages and seasons of life, and you can find all 
all of this at girldefined.com slash shop. Just click the digital resources tab. That's girldefined.com slash shop. Yeah. So from what I know, and I don't, I wouldn't say I'm like the most informed person on the overseas aspect of this, but I will say, I know that a lot of people have used surrogates in places like Ukraine. Mm -hmm. It's cheaper to go overseas and use surrogates than it is to stay here in the U S. So I think that's part of it. Also people over in Europe, um, where in the countries where it is illegal, they have to go out of country. And so I I think Mm -hmm. Ukraine is just one of those places. And so when, with pandemic and war and all of that, um, you know, you, you will see these like rooms filled with babies, of the babies that haven't been claimed babies that are like sort of stuck in limbo parents that can't come Mm -hmm. get them. And like, what, like, you've got parents in another country, maybe you can't even find them. Like once you're out of country, it's really hard to find somebody. Right. And, and and I don't know all the circumstances surrounding it, but if you think about these newborn babies are born and they're put in these cribs and they're not, they're not shown affection. I mean, I'm sure the nurses like pick them up sometimes, but it's like when uh, newborn babies, as most people know, like you're holding them all the time. Like they are made to have that kind of love and affection coming at them at all times. That's, that's how their brains and bodies are nurtured. Mm-hmm. And so, um, Katie Faust, um, who, who runs the organization them before us, um, highly recommend her book. She talks about this in the book. She talks about having been in, uh, orphanages where things like this have happened and the babies are just silent because they don't mm-hmm. even know that their cries can get them anything. Um, oh. And so these, these are the kids. They're just like, they're just forgotten, like who they are. They're not they're They have no rights. Like they're just, they're just like these products that were created through surrogacy. Um, they haven't been claimed yet. Um, and that's not how people work. Like that's, mm-hmm. we are not products. Like we are whole human beings with hearts and souls and, um, and, and made obviously, um, individually by God, um, with a purpose and each, and God made us to need our mothers <laughs> and fathers. And so when you don't have that, imagine down the road, what that's going to lead to. And with the burst of in surrogacy as of late, like we're going to see down the road, we're going to see yeah. in 15 or 20 years, like what they haven't been able to study it yet. Like they haven't been able to study so many other things that have popped up lately. And we don't know what the full consequences of this will be. But I just would ask people like, stop and think like, yes, Mm -hmm. you want this, but like, think about this person. It's their life. They're not going to be a baby forever. Like they're going to grow up and they're going to be an adult and they're going to face the consequences of your decisions. Yeah, exactly. Uh, We've got to think ahead, not just in this moment. I know that's so good. What are the the impacts? Is there any sort of emotional impact on the woman who's a surrogate? I'm thinking of all these women in Ukraine. They're pregnant for nine months. They're carrying this baby. They're feeling the kicks, the heartbeat, you know, all these things that you go through during pregnancy. And then they have this baby. And do they just walk away? Do you know if there's any sort of impact? I mean, that's true for women in the US too, anywhere. As a surrogate, is there any sort of emotional impact after the birth for that woman? Well, that's not something I've looked into a lot, but I will say from, from my understanding, um, as far as I know, it's not, I I think most people, it's pretty like a separation. Like I see a lot of people express gratitude to their surrogates and I'm sure they Mm -hmm. 100% mean that, but it's not like, oh, this person is going to be part of our family now. Um, and it's certainly very much just transactional. Like, thank you for your service. Here's your payment. Have a great life. Like you've seen these, this has been, I I get all the ads for the surrogacy agencies because I do research and like, they think, Oh, you know, you're on all the email lists. (laughs) All this stuff comes into my feeds. And so I, you know, the most recent one is like this, this, 
couple, um, this uh, male couple that's like holding an ultrasound together, smiling. And then like far in the background, there's like this woman that's like holding her tummy and like, you can't see her face. And they're like family pictures. And I'm like, that is so sad. Like she's like this woman like is so Mm -hmm. not the point to you. And, Mm -hmm. and so I, I of course haven't done it, but having given birth myself, like I cannot imagine that there is not some kind of emotional consequence to handing over a baby that you've been growing in your own body for nine months. Yeah. Um, If you're telling me there's not a bond there, I don't, I, I don't know. Mm -hmm. I I don't know what to Mm -hmm. say. And I'm sure there are surrogates that will hear this and they'll chime in and, you know, maybe tell me I'm wrong, but um, we are made to have a beautiful and like moral and ethical and bodily connection with these babies that grow in our bodies. Mm -hmm. And so um, to to think that you could just walk away from that without being affected, I can't imagine. And like you said earlier, we don't know what the fallout is because we haven't been in this long enough. Do you know how long this industry has been up and running by any chance? I don't know. I would say... I mean, because it couldn't have come around until we had the technology to right. be able to do this sort of thing with the egg and the sperm and the embryo and the yeah, lab and I don't all of know that. For sure, I would say maybe the early '90s is maybe when mm-hmm. it initially started. Perhaps late '80s. I know the the first yeah. like test tube baby was like in the mm-hmm. late '70s. So I, I couldn't tell you exactly, but I, I do think that it has certainly ramped up in recent years. It's it's become like doubled in in terms of the money that's coming in in the past couple wow. of years. And so you're, you're seeing it being used more, but that's why I am so glad that countries like Italy are sounding the alarm. It's like, hold, mm-hmm. hold on. What are we doing here? We're just like yeah. unregulated, making people, sending them out into the world without the confines of this um, mother and father family that is so important. Um, and, you know, granted, we have situations in life where there's single mothers and there's divorce and like, that's mm-hmm. unfortunate. And we, we deal with that and we do the best we can, but we shouldn't be doing it on purpose. <laughs> we shouldn't be planning to uh, put children in the situations where they don't have parents or they don't um, or they only have one parent. um, And we're literally intentionally creating trauma. That's what I keep going back to. We're intentionally creating trauma. We don't need to do that. We shouldn't do that. That's wrong. Mm -hmm. I think as Christians, at least for me in my heart, so much of the decision, my husband and I have decided we're not going to pursue any sort of surrogacy. And for us, that decision really comes down to trusting the Lord with his story for us because it's his decision. Like we have infertility. We pray that God would, you know, we're still, we joke that we're trying forever. Like I'm like, I'm going to keep trying to get pregnant until I hit menopause. Like I'm just not going to give up until, you know, I hit menopause and then, okay, there's the final, like the final door is closed. But at the same time, like, yeah, there's, I'm hopeful and we continue to pray, but there's a surrendered posture in my heart of saying, Lord, you know, what's best for me. This is your story for my life. And if you have chosen to give me infertility, help me to walk in this faithfully to walk in this trial in a way that honors you, that shows that I trust you, help me to cling to you, to know you in a deeper way, and to trust that in some way you're going to use this for my good and your glory ultimately. I don't have all the pieces. I don't see the bigger picture. I know I'm not owed 
children. I know that's not a right that I can claim. In fact, in this life as Christians, you say, be prepared for trials and suffering. Like that's the flip side of it. We are, you know, we have this mentality that we all deserve the the best perfect life that we can imagine, but that's not what we see in scripture. And so I think as Christian women, it's so important to, to not try to take things into our own hands. I even think of like Sarah and Abraham in the Bible and you know, that situation with Hagar and wanting a child so bad, not trusting the Lord, taking mm-hmm. matters into our own hands. And then we see Ishmael born, right? Yes. I mean, yeah. And that's another thought is was surrogacy in the Bible? I know that's like a small rabbit trail, but is this ever mentioned in the Bible? And is it something we can look at through a scriptural lens? I don't think it's mentioned, although I do think people did what Abraham did, which obviously isn't uh, aligning with God's plan. Um, We see what happened with that situation and it wasn't good. Um, And I think, you know, we're talking about surrogacy and I know we don't have time to jump into all the many ramifications that come with all this stuff. But I mean, there's, there's also a lot to think about when it comes to IVF. Um, That's a whole other rabbit trail that we don't have time to go down. Um, Maybe we can talk about it another time, but there's a lot to think about there too, as Christian women that are facing infertility, um, I would make sure that you're very educated and informed on what you're doing and that you know what you're going to do um, in, in the event that you have leftover embryos, which is, um, which is something that you have to, you have to plan for before it happens. Right. And that's just a whole other, whole other thing. So. Yeah. So it's not something we see in the Bible. Obviously they didn't have the technology for surrogacy in the way that we use it today. But there were cases, obviously Sarah Abraham, others where we see the same, I think, underlying heart of a woman desperate for children, this longing to have a family, this longing to be pregnant. I mean, in Bible times, it was even more intense than today because a woman's identity was completely wrapped up in her ability to bear children and, you know, to bear the next generation. So I can't imagine what they faced. And in my struggle of infertility, I can see that heart's cry of Sarah going, I am desperate. God, you are slow. What is going on? I'm going to do the next thing that I know to do and I'm going to get what I want. And she did that. And I think it's that same underlying heart that we struggle with today that I wrestle with today of not trusting the Lord, not trusting his timing, not trusting that he has the bigger picture in mind. In fact, my sister and I wrote a book called Oh my gosh, I'm blinking on the name. (laughs) Not part of the plan. Trusting God with the twists and turns of your story. And it's that whole idea of, are we going to be a generation of Christian women when the rubber meets the road, when we're facing something so heartbreaking like infertility, where we trust God with that, whether we ever get that longing in this, in this life or not, are we willing to trust God and not take matters into our own hands and force something that is actually going to be hurtful to other people? So yeah, in I mean, closing, yeah, sorry, go, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, I mean, that's where, and, and this is never easy, but to have the, the eternal perspective of what our lives are. I mean, we, again, like you said, like we are not owed children. We're not owed a spouse. We're not owed anything. Yeah. Like we, we are here to serve and worship God. And, um, we're lucky if we get those things that we want, but if we don't like God is still good and we yeah. can still trust him. And he always has, you know, we can only see this much, but he can see, you know, so much more. Yeah. Um, and, and in the end, like, you know, it's that eternal perspective that has to win out. Mm. Um, and it's hard, it's hard to have yeah. that, but it's important to like stop and intentionally think about what this life is about in the first place. Mm. 
our lives are, we're vessels for, to be used for God's glory, right? It's not ultimately about getting what we want, but about using our lives to tell others about Christ, the great commission that we see in scripture and to glorify God. And the, God has really helped me see that perspective. I haven't always had this perspective in the sense of my struggle with infertility, my pain, my longings, but really seeing, okay, Lord, this is an opportunity for me to glorify you and to bring glory to you and even come alongside other Christian women, any woman really who's struggling with this and to point her back, not to a quick fix to her problem, but to point her to the God who made her and to say, he sees you, he loves you, he cares for you, he has a plan for you. But that plan is not to give you everything you want, but to give you more of him ultimately. And the way that we see our need for Christ at least in my life, most often is through the lens of my suffering and my trials and my longings, because it's those very things that push me to see my need for Christ even more in those longings. So yeah, it's just so, it's just such a perspective. And I'm glad this conversation can help bring us back to that perspective. Are there any other biblical thoughts or ways that we as Christians right now that you would encourage us in, in, in just our response to surrogacy and what we see going on? Yeah, I would say definitely get educated. I, I really, I, I want everyone to read Katie Faust's book, Them Before Us. It is not just about surrogacy. It's about all kinds of different aspects of family, but her organization is all about children's rights. And when mm. you come down to it, that their rights matter more than our rights. Okay. And so I would say everyone get that book. I also recommend everyone follow the Center for Bioethics, a woman named Jennifer Lawl. She has documentaries. She has all kinds of resources. Those are the two best places to get informed okay. on this and begin to understand all of the issues behind it. Mm-hmm. In terms of like, there's not a lot out there. There's just not a lot of information mm-hmm. out there, like like say a devotional or something. But I think if you're reading scripture and you're praying that God would speak to you on this issue, that He's going to show up. And I think I think that's something I've learned this week is j- this week in my own um, devotional time is like. God's going to show up. Believe God is going to show up. When you show up looking for him, he's not going to not be there in some way, Hmm. shape or form. And so if you want to hear from God on this issue, he wants to talk to you about it. So enter into that space with a pure heart and and ask him to speak to you through scripture um, and prayer. Hmm. And he will. So that's, that would be my best advice um, as simple as it is um, in order to, Mm -hmm. to work on that in a biblical way. Yeah. And be in a solid gospel church where you're surrounded by Christian women, by a great solid biblical teaching where you are hearing the truths of the gospel and you're sensitive to the ways of the Lord. You are being fed that gospel truth that is shaping your mind and informing your conviction and your ethics. And in fact, this is a great place for you to share about your book, about how women are leaving the church. They're not in the church, the very place that they need to be. Can you tell us a little bit about that real quick? Yeah, I was going to do that transition myself. Um, you talk about being in, in a good church and, um, you know, that's one of the reasons to be in a good church is because God uses the people around mm-hmm. us to speak to us sometimes. Um, and, you know, being part of a local church is we're called to that in the Bible. And the Bible says that we are all um, different parts. We all have different uh, jobs to do. And so when we're not there, that job isn't being done. Um, when we're not there, we n- may not be ministering to someone that needs us or vice versa. And so that is a really important part of staying. I, I like to say ho- be- staying holistic in your faith. I think there's a lot of different ways to make up a sp- your spiritual health. And you know, we talk about our physical health and our mental health, but our spiritual health requires upkeep 
upkeep just like those other things. Yeah. And one of the major components of that is being part of a, of a solid a uh, spiritual Christian community that God has provided for to uplift us, to encourage us, to be there for us. Um, and, and what we find when you look at, again, I, I'm a big data nerd, but when you look at the data, what you find is that those who are part of a weekly, you know, they go to church on a weekly basis and that does matter. It's not just like, you know, here and there. It's, it's like you're a solid church attender. What we find is people are happier. They um, are healthier physically. Even they have more friendships. They have better relationships. Um, yeah. They are more likely to uh, not be depressed. And all of these things are better. Yeah. Um, they're more generous. I mean, everything in life improves when you see someone that is part of a local church. Of course, there are outliers. Yeah. Of course, there's going to be people that hear this and say, "Well, that wasn't my situation." But when you look at the majority numbers and you follow the trends of what actually happens. Um, that's what you find. Now, this isn't all about, this isn't all about numbers, of course. Um, but the Holy Spirit works in spiritual community like he doesn't in any yeah. other community. Uh, the New York Times recently did a big, like five part, uh, series on this. And basically the end conclusion was like all the psychologists and sociologists we talked about, talked to said that there is nothing even close to replicating a faith community. Nothing, wow. like, not a volleyball league, not a Girl Scout troop, not, anything comes That's close incredible. to and, the, and it's because it's supernatural. Like you can't, yeah. you can't yeah. do it any other way. And, and so, it's God's design. It's his plan. He gave, he right. built the church, gave it to us and said, be a part of your local body, live out the one and others. This yeah. is for your good. It's God's design, just like yeah. it was God's design, like the natural family was God's design. Yeah. And, and yeah. you know, and that's why we see kids flourishing in that. That's why we see individuals flourishing in, inside the, you know, the uh, incubator of, of the local mm. church. Of course, there's so much more to our spiritual health than just that. Um, going to church isn't going to change everything for you. Um, you know, you've got to mm -hmm. have your prayer life. You've got to have your worship. You've got to have, yeah. you know, all of those other pieces in place. Um, but the church really is a foundational part yes. of our faith. And yes. um, again, uh, you know, the Great Commission, go and, go and tell the world, well, we don't usually do that alone. Um, and so we need mm -hmm. our fellow church members. And, and the book is like, for people that believe that already, it's also for people who have drifted away from church and want to get back into it. It's for people that have experienced hurt. I have some stories in there from mm. people that have gone through a lot of really difficult things, but yeah. have been able to come back and find a healthy community. Um and, and, and I, I would love to reiterate the fact that like there are unhealthy communities and I don't want you to be a part of those, but there are a lot more healthy communities than unhealthy. Yes. And we don't hear yes. enough about that. And I just want to mm -hmm. like shout it to the rooftops, like go find the healthy community because it is life giving and God made it for you. Okay. We froze there for a second. I didn't catch the last thing that you said. Um, okay. Let's see. What did I say? I heard you said something about there are unhealthy communities. I don't want that for you. I want. Okay. So there are unhealthy communities, but there are way more healthy communities than unhealthy. Mm -hmm. And we don't hear about the healthy ones nearly enough. And so yeah. I would just urge people, like, if you've been a part of something that wasn't good for you, don't go back there. I don't want you to go back there. Yes. I want Run. you to find a place. <laughs> yes. And pe church people are they want you to walk in those doors. They mm -hmm. want to welcome you. They're so excited when you're there. Um, and the good news is here in America, at least we have 
lots of options. And so um, now they're, they're not all the great gospel-based, Bible-based churches that we know are good, but there are still a lot of those too. And yeah. so um, it's worth your time to find the one that is for your family. Yes. So the name of your book, and you guys need to grab this, if that piqued your interest, Reason to Return, Why Women Need the Church and the Church Needs Women. And if you're watching on YouTube, you can see a beautiful picture of the cover right there that Erica showed us. Erica, thank you so much for having this roller coaster of a conversation <laughs> about surrogacy. And I just have to tell you guys, if you're still with us to this moment, I sprung this topic on Erica when we got on. She thought we were going to talk about something else. And I said, hey, can you go on this ride with me and talk about surrogacy? Because I've been wanting to cover this for a while. And you nailed it, girl. That was so helpful. That was so encouraging. Thank you. Well, and I've written a lot about it, but I really haven't talked much about it. So it was really my first time like on air. So. <laughs> Wow. Okay. Well, now you're going to get all these requests for interviews on surrogacy. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you so much, um, Kristen and Girl Defined. I'm so happy to have been here. And and I, if you know, if anybody has follow up on that, I'm happy to, yeah. to chat it out in the DMs or whatever. Yes. Yes. This will be come hang out with us on Instagram. If you're watching there, great. If not, YouTube, Instagram at Girl Defined. And then where can people follow you and hang out with you? Yeah. So I'm pretty much everywhere at under Erica Anderson. So Erica underscore Anderson is my Instagram, Erica Anderson on Twitter. Note the spelling. If you look at how they spell it on this podcast episode, um, it's a little different, but yeah, if you just Google my name, there's like a million things that will pop up. I'm on all the social media. I'm everywhere. So yes, we love that. Awesome. Erica, thank you again for this awesome conversation. Thank you. Okay. You guys like, wow, that was Amazing. I learned so much about surrogacy, the dark side, behind the scenes. I feel even more convinced after listening to Erica and having this conversation that this is something that I will never pursue. I mean, I was convinced before, but I'm like doubly convinced and I'm dying to hear your take on what she shared. Is this something that you've thought about? Is this something you've had conversations about? Is this something that you have been offered like me where someone even offers to be your surrogate as you may struggle with infertility or something else? I mean, what is your experience with this? Is this the first time you've ever really thought about this topic and you're still trying to figure out what you believe about it? I want to hear your thoughts. So please come share them with me over on Girl Define um, on Instagram at Girl Define. That's where we're going to be hanging out. That's where we're going to be talking about this. Click on the latest post that has this episode on there and share with me what you thought. Let's keep this conversation going. I am dying to continue and not let this die because this is something that, like Erica said, we need to be talking about. We need to have a biblical worldview as Christian women on what we think about this. We need to understand God's heart, his design, his plan, His the way he design families, babies, pregnancy, marriages, all of this matters. And he has a good design. And like we talked about, when we take it into our own hands, we mess things up. Even if our intentions are good, even if it's rooted in a, a good longing and desire like motherhood, when we take things into our own hands and force things that that is not normal, that are not normal, uh, we have problems just like we unpacked. So come chat with me about this. If you want to learn more about God's design for your womanhood, your identity, your femininity, motherhood, all of that, we unpack it in our book, Girl Defined, God's Radical Design for Beauty, Femininity, and Identity. 
You guys, if you haven't read this, it is foundational. This to me, this would be my recommendation. Read Girl Defined first. That is like step one to just getting a foundation of God's design for your life as a woman. And that will impact the way you think about these sort of issues, about surrogacy, about God's plan. If you're struggling to trust him, step two would be read our other book, Not Part of the Plan, Trusting God with the Twists and Turns of Your Story to get an incredible biblically-based foundation of what it means to trust God in the midst of un fulfilled longing. If you're single, if you're struggling with wanting to move into the next season of life, if you're like me, you have you're struggling with infertility and you want to have children, you know whatever your struggle, health issues, family struggles, and you are wrestling with trusting God with believing that he's good, with believing that he hears your prayers, grab a copy of Not Part of the Plan that will give you such an incredible foundation of how to trust God right now in your life. Okay, and lastly, if you appreciated this episode, if you like The Girl Defined Show, please drop us a five-star review on Spotify, on Apple. It means a lot. And you guys, I see your comments. When you leave a review, I read them. So if you wanna drop me a personal note to Kristen, hello, I will see it. It encourages us so much and it helps other women like you find The Girl Defined Show. So if you're like, yeah, I wanna push this message forward. I wanna link arms with Girl Defined. That is like the easiest freest way that you can do it is by leaving us a five-star review to encourage us and to help get this show pushed out even further. For all of you who've already done that, you're awesome. Thank you so much. Okay, that's all I've got for you guys today. This was so fun. Come hang out with me on Instagram and then come back next Monday for another awesome episode of The Girl Defined Show.